Welcome to One Dive at a Time, the official podcast of Neptune Warrior, healing heroes one dive at a time. Hey, this is Rob, your host, trying to learn some of my new gear here. Hey, I am Rob Anderson. I am the host of One Dive at a Time, the official podcast of Neptune Warrior, where our job and our mission and our goal is healing heroes one dive at a time. Hey, if the podcast sounds a little different, that's because I broke down and got some new gear. Let me tell you a little bit of the backstory behind that. So I went to go record episode 26. I had woke up, really woke up Thursday, Friday morning-ish. I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday that I decided to do this. I guess I guess it was actually Friday. I decided to, to do it. And my friend Derek, who I've talked a little bit about on the show, we go way, way back. And Derek knows a lot of my story. And we have been there for each other and still continue to be there for for each other. He is the closest thing that I have to a brother. And we served together at Fort Dix. And that was pretty, pretty monumental in my career. Just the friendships that I made, the relationships that I made, what it did for my career. It had actually been a career goal for me to go back and become a ground combat instructor and Derek has been following this podcast. Actually, he's been following the Neptune story since I got it going. And he has been a huge advocate for me and is always that that encouragement for me. And he has been telling me, dude, you need to show, you know, you need to share your story. You need to tell your story. And I have tried to do that here and there and sometimes just getting the confidence to do that. And, and really, it's not so much the confidence. It's the willingness to talk about something that is very uncomfortable. And I know that I have family members that are uncomfortable talking about this. I have friends that are uncomfortable. And it's basically my story of, and I don't, I don't want to use the word overcoming, but it's managing suicidal thoughts. So full disclosure, I'll tell you right now, I do not have any suicidal thoughts. All right. You know, at this, you know, I'm in a good place right now. Very happy. I've got some good relationships. I've got some great supportive relationships that are going. And so that's, that's not where my head is right now. So I, I, I want to say that. So before people start, you know, pinging me, Hey dude, are you okay? And all like that. I'm very, very good. Neptune, the mission of Neptune really filled several voids for me. And I'll talk about that in a later show. But one of the voids was that loss of tribe. And I've talked about that, not feeling like you're part of a community anymore. And, and I think most of that, I think the majority of people that I come across are all, well, not all, the majority of people that I come across are pre-9-11 vets who kind of feel left behind. So that's one part of, of the equation. The other part is just not having someplace where I could reach out and serve and also receive really that that those relationships that that I needed in in that time but Derek has been really really pushing me to share that story so so let me get back to the equipment part here right so I got up on Friday 
and just really felt like I needed to reach out and tell my story. And as, as I've told you in the past, I honestly don't care how many people listen to this as long as the right people are listening to this podcast, as long as the right person hears the message when they need to hear it. And that's all I care about. So I don't look at numbers. We don't do advertising. I don't, you know, th- those things don't, don't appeal to me. The ability to tell my story and a story of our other vets and have a venue for them to communicate as well as to find a place where they can have a home and have a say and have a tribe. That's, that's my main purposes here. So when, when I decided to do this podcast, I didn't want to do it like I had done other podcasts in the past where I was either running shows on my own or running shows for other people through, you know, through, you know, large mixers and, you know, a, a, a home built studio and things like that. I didn't, I didn't want to take that this time, you know, like right now, I don't know if you can hear on the podcast, but I can hear my dogs tapping their feet outside the door. (laughs) Now they were supposed to be staying upstairs and they snuck back down and, you know, things like that. I'm just not going to let those things bother me. That's, that's not what I'm going to do. I mean, if I, if I can hear the dog, dog collar jingling or the tip, tip, tap of the, of the footsteps, I don't care. All right. Cause my purpose was to keep this thing simple. Now, when I set out to keep it simple, my goal was to record it on a cell phone with a, you know, on a, on an iPhone with a simple plug-in mic using a program such as boss jock. Now here's where I ran into the problem. And I'm sure you can hear the sirens in the background right now. Here's where I ran into the program or, or the problem with the, with the program is that it was so simplified that it failed on me a lot. So I had a story I really felt like I needed to tell on Friday. And the problem occurs when I spent 26 minutes laying out my entire story. When I went to hit the playback, there was nothing there except for microphone static. I don't know about you, but sometimes it takes courage and it takes drive to finally be able to tell your story. And I know that we have veterans out there. I know we have non-veterans out there that just need to tell their story and get it off their chest. And the problem is they have no one to listen to them. They have no one that hears them. And that's very much the way I felt after (laughs) going in and laying out my heart and telling about my story and there was no audience, you know, so it goes back to the old philosophical, philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around, does it really make a sound? And the answer from a philosophical standpoint is no, because if there's no one there to listen, if there's no one there to offer empathy, if there's no one there that understands or at least tries to understand the miles that you have walked, then there is no sound. And that's very much the way I felt. And it hit on a day that I was really feeling kind of isolated. You know, even though I've got this, this tribe around me and I've got people who love me and care for me and want to understand or at least understand or are empathetic, that at that moment even though I had dozens of people that I could have picked up a phone and called in the media and the venue that I was in, nobody heard me. 
and I and I was very <laughs> I was very open with my story and the things that I was feeling and the things that I had done. And there was nobody to hear that story. So it felt very alone. So with that, I had been looking at a Zoom podcast P4 audio recorder for several months. I kept thinking, no, I want to keep this show simple. I'm not going to buy a bunch of mics, you know, and, and headphones and, you know, headphone hangers and things like that. I'm just going to keep it simple. Well, guess what I did? I went out and I found a fantastic deal on a Zoom P4 podcast recorder. And I love it. At least right now, I love it. We'll go, we'll see what happens when I get ready to, to upload this show. If, if it's all static, obviously you'll never hear it and you'll never hear anything I said. We we're right back to Rob being a tree that falls in the forest and doesn't make a sound because there's nobody around. My hope, my hope is that, you know, as I look here at all the dials, everything looks like it's, it's cool and it's good to go. So like I said, on Friday, I had meant to tell this story or I did tell the story and, and there was no one to listen because the microphones were just, were just dead on it. So my own story is, is difficult for me to tell, but it's probably more difficult for people around me who love me to hear it. And when you have someone in your life who has suicidal thoughts, there are things that you don't say things like you need to think about your family, or that's a very selfish thing to do, or that's an easy way out. Steve Exane of Ride for 22 taught me a very important uh, methodology, or not methodology, but very, um, I guess, philosophy. They don't use the word commit, as in commit suicide, because it makes it sound like it was a crime. And that's something that I have adopted. And, and if you don't know, Ride for 22 was a huge, huge donor for us a few years back as we're trying to get more divers in the water who had disabilities. That was a theme that year. And not on not only did they do that, but they also gave us money to go put female divers in the water. Now, as we sit today, we actually have, whereas we only had like a 10% female population, we are now about 50-50 between males and females. And a lot of that, in fact, a huge part of that is because of the ability that Neptune or that Ride for 22 gave to Neptune Warrior to go out and buy women's bcds and women's wetsuits and they are directly directly responsible for 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 doing that but it was steve exing who who taught me that philosophy we don't use the word commit and so there's things that you don't say to someone who is having suicidal thoughts or struggling even struggling with depression and even though they may not be actively looking for ways to take their own life and to end it you take it just as serious right and and so you don't you don't say those things whether or not they are fully intentional or, or not. So my story starts out in, well, I'm not going to talk about when it starts out. I mean, because it started out way before this, but, but really it started coming to a peak in around 2006. On September 22nd, I had, I had probably reached the lowest point I have ever been in my life. And even though 2015 was kind of a rough year, 2020 kind of roughish, there's nothing that compares to the level of bottom of the barrel that happened in 2006. On 2006, I was, you know, just everything was, was crashing in on me. And I felt that by not being here, 
it was a much better answer. My family would be financially taken care of. I would not have to really face any of the mental demons or anything like that that I was facing at, at that point in time. I had a lot of a lot of things that were triggering me. Some very specific events were triggering me. And I really felt that that was the way out. It was about 8 o'clock in the evening. My daughter, Abby, who you've met on the podcast at the time, she was four, four or five, somewhere in there. And actually five. I had gone in to use the restroom. And while I was in there, we had trash bags and plastic grocery bags that were in the, uh, you know, underneath the, the sink. And I thought, I wonder what it feels like. Now, I wasn't thinking about at that point in time, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about family and whether they would be better or, you know, better off or worse off. Wasn't thinking about the things I was having to face. I wasn't thinking about any of the betrayals or anything like that 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 had taken place. The only thing I could think about is what does it feel like if I put that bag over my head? There was no, there was no other thought. There wasn't a thought of, hey, I'm going to do this and it'll all be done. There wasn't a thought of, I'm going to escape out of this. There wasn't a thought of this is going to feel better. The only thing that consumed my mind was putting that bag over my head. Now, I got to tell you a little, a little bit more about the relationship that Abby and I have. Abby and I are very, very close. We are so close that uh, sometimes we butt heads, but that's all right. People who love each other, that's what happens. And she's a lot like me. So we, so we butt heads quite a bit. But we have been a daddy-daughter team from the beginning. Ever since she was about six or eight months old, I started taking her on daddy-daughter breakfasts. There's been very few weekends that we missed. The weekends that we did miss, we've made up for. She's now 21. So if you want to take 20, or let's just say 19 because of, of travel that I've had to do and things like that, let's just take the number 19 and we'll, we'll even fudge the numbers a little bit in, into the direction of that we just didn't get to go because we missed some weekends or something, right? And, you know, if you take 40 and multiply that by 19, guys, that's how many, that's how many breakfasts we've done that we've intentionally done. That doesn't count all the other, we're going hunting, we're going out to play the RC cars, we're going out jeeping doesn't count those breakfasts. This is just the ones that we set aside to go out and do things together. And whatever number that is, it's pretty short of just breakfasts that we spent together. And we've done some, we've done some other things. We've done our mountain bikes on Hiawatha trail. And, you know, at one point, you know, we were into motorcycles and ATVs and then RC cars. And then she used to fly with me when I was, you know, when I was a private pilot, all that kind of stuff. So we, we are very, very close and have always been close. Now, there's something that you need to know about Abby when she was little. If she fell down and got hurt, she smashed her finger in a door, she bumped her head, she didn't call for daddy. She called for mom. So let me go back into the bathroom here. My only thought was to take a plastic bag 
and put it over my head. It had been there long enough that I started seeing purple dots. Now, those of you who know anything about breath hold diving or passing out or understand anything about drown proofing that is done in military dive schools, you'll know that this is the point that you're about ready to pass out. And if you don't get oxygen immediately, you suffocate. So I'm in the bathroom, plastic bag over my head, start feeling the chest convulsions. I work my way through the chest convulsions. I start reaching that point of euphoria. Again, if you're a breath hold diver, you understand that, that point of euphoria. Starting to feel very relaxed. Purple dots come on. I'm within seconds of passing out and suffocating. Somewhere in that time frame, and I don't remember what it was, Abby had either smashed a finger, bumped her head, got upset about something, and instead of running for my wife at the time, started calling out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I got to tell you, I ripped that plastic bag off my head as quickly as I could and got out to her. And nobody else knew what was going on at that point. I had kept that a secret for a very, very long time and eventually told eventually told Melissa about it, my, my wife at the time. I don't know if Abby's ever heard this story before. If she listens to the podcast, it may be the first time she hears about it. And I hope she'll be very upset. But that was... That was a low moment. Now I would love to be able to tell you that, wow, what an epiphany. Angels came down and I saw you know visions of what my life could be. That's not how it happened. Something I want you to think about is that once somebody thinks about suicide, once their brain is programmed for that, it kind of stays with them. And that's why it's so important to keep doing your buddy checks, to have a tribe around people. Because that wasn't the only time I'd ever thought about it. Now, there was a time that I decided that I was not going to do it, even though I have had thoughts of it or had thoughts of it since then. I was not going to give in. And that's because on October 10th, actually the night of October 9th, I drove up to Boise National Forest. And this may shock my family because I come from a family of of non-drinkers. But I took with me a six-pack of fat tire beer and a bag of Doritos. That was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Actually, it was dinner and breakfast. (laughs) So I went up, sat by the campfire, had our little six-pound rat terrier with me all night, and I just contemplated things, just thought about things. Now, I was not in a a mood to take my life that time. I just needed to get away. I just needed some, some fireside therapy, and that's exactly what I did. On the morning of October 10th, I decided that no matter how bad things would get, and no matter how hard the demons would crash in, and no matter how many times I had thoughts, I was not going to take my life. October 10th is my alive day. That's the day I decided I wanted to live. Now, have I had thoughts since then? Absolutely. 2015 was a very rough year for me. 
2020, 2019, 2020 got a little rougher as well. Not quite as bad as 2015 and certainly not where I was in 2006. The day I got out of the military, I mean, I, I was struggling with PTSD and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, diagnosed much later, actually in 2006 is when I was diagnosed after, after my suicide survival. And once your brain is wired for that, you have to fight it. I mean, I fight low days all the time. Nothing like what I had before. So and this may be this may be the most downer type podcast I've ever done. But it was important for me to tell my story. It was important for people who support me to hear that story. They've encouraged me to tell the story, but that's my story. And it's a fight that goes on. Am I suicidal right now? Absolutely not. If I had dark thoughts, have I been blue? Absolutely. But I've decided that I'm not going to go back to that place, to that very dark place. I mean, I would love to be able to say, and even after October 10th, you know, that I decided I want to live, man, it was, it was a long, long road. It was probably two years for about six to eight months after that time period of September, October, I was so wore out from fighting the demons at night and the thoughts and the intrusive thoughts and everything else that would come along. I'd fight that all night. I was so tired that I would sleep in the back of our SUV as Melissa would drive us to work. I would go in, do my job. She was working six to six. And what I would do is I would ride in with her sleep until it was time to go in, make it in just right at eight o'clock. I would get off at five. I would go back out to the truck and I would sleep until she got off at six and drove us home. And then I walked in the house and went back to sleep again. So if you have any illusions uh, of you just kind of spring out of this thing and everything's better, that's not the way it is. You've got to get into a tribe. You've got to get into a community. You've got to get, I'll tell you what helped me. And that was, I, I had nine very strong men all throughout the country that would call and check on me. They would check to make sure that I was okay. They would reach out to me. They would pray for me. I finally got a chance to meet most of them. Actually, there was nine of us. I got a chance to meet all nine of those men later on in Moab. A good friend of mine, Randy Schroyer, who came down and sat with me that weekend to make sure I didn't do anything, uh, arranged for a Moab trip for all of us to get together and kind of celebrate me coming out of that dark place and get to know each other. And I really appreciated that. But if you think that you're just going to have, or if you have someone who is in your life that's at that point, it's not just going to be rosy the next day. It's not pineapples and rainbows. It is a fight. But having people, having a tribe, having a community, that's a big part of it. Having some type of faith, whatever that faith is, as long as it pulls you out, you've got to have counseling. And then you've also got to do something with your body. You've got to stay active. You've got to keep your mind active. You've got to keep your body active. And that's what I did. And that's why I think, the, I think that's why the formula that we have in Neptune of making sure that it's about 
the diver and not diving first is so important. I think that's why having community is so important. And then coaching. We don't provide counseling. We can point you in directions of counseling. But having that coaching available to you. Those three areas are so important. Having, having someone involved in recreational sport that offers an opportunity to be with others that are going, many are going through the same thing. And those who are not going through it are willing to help coach and support. All that is so, so important. And that's why we do what we do. All right, so that's that's my story. <laughs> so people have been wanting me to, to share it. And, you know, this is not meant to be an uplifting podcast. This was a chance to tell you a little bit about me and what has been motivating me. I may regret this by putting it out there. I, don't, I haven't even posted it yet. So who knows? I may chicken out and not even post it. Hey, here's the biggest lesson, though, that I learned. And it's something I tell you at the, at the very end of, the, of every podcast. And that is, as long as you do have air, as long as you've got oxygen, you're going to be all right. And that is so, so important to remember. There has got to be light at the end of the tunnel. There's got to be hope. But the only way that happens is you've got to be in an environment that supports you. You've got to be with people that love you and want to support you and see you, see you be your best. But the other part is, you got to be willing to fight for you. And I think that is one of the things that made the difference for me was I had a group, I had a band of brothers that were willing to fight for me. And I had to be able to fight for me as well. Iron sharpens iron, guys. One man sharpens another. All right, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And remember, as long as you've got air, you're going to be all right. Wow, I think that's the toughest one I've ever done. <laughs>